Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 30. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as, do- as, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the, to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition, so that you, that you, have, that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Rose, I didn't ask you to stand for the reading of the word, which is probably nice because it was such a long passage. Um, so the uh, book of Leviticus is uh, it's one of the, the first books of the Bible um, and it's far on the left side of your Bible. And uh, in Leviticus, there are a bunch of Purity laws, cleanliness laws, food laws about what people can and can't, the people of Israel could and couldn't eat. Uh, there, there are some things in Leviticus that people are not allowed to eat. They're not, according, uh, the people of Israel, according to God's word, uh, drawing their attention towards God's holiness. People aren't allowed to eat pigs. They weren't allowed to eat pigs, camels, eagles, vultures, bats, lizards, most winged insects. They also weren't allowed to eat blood. Uh, it was, they were, people were made unclean by touching things that were dead. Uh, 
if someone, and also if there was like bodily discharges, if someone bled on something, like you weren't, if you touched it, you'd be unclean until you washed until evening. Uh, and it the, the, the says there are ways out of uncleanness. You know, if anyone, it says, if anyone touches his, his bed that after there's been like a, a discharge, you shall wash your clothes, bathe yourself in water, and, the, and be unclean until the evening. And then you're, you know, then you're cleansed. There's all these laws. There's a book full, filled with these things. It's, it's worth saying that like for the people of Israel in Jesus' day, these this code was like, it wasn't a small deal. It was actually a really, really big deal. Uh, it was a key way that the people of Israel distinguished themselves from their neighbors. Uh, the, actually about 100 or so years before Jesus, there's uh, a famous like martyrdom story for the Jewish people where there was a Greek king, a tyrant, who desecrated Jerusalem. And the, he did this tyrannical thing where he took these these seven, the seven sons of, a, of one mother, and the seven, he asked the seven sons to, he tried to demand that they eat pork. And they each refused one by one by one to eat pork, and he had them all killed. And these are like martyrs for refusing to eat pork. Which is to say, like, this, these questions were a really big deal. And I think when we hear these stories, when we read Leviticus, we read this passage where, like, Jesus is having these, it seems like really arcane, old debates about cleanliness and such, it just feels so foreign right? Like, and what's even weirder is like in Leviticus, a lot of these laws, we, like the way that we always think about things is like the laws exist to protect people from being harmed. That's why things happen, why there are laws. And in Leviticus, there aren't justifications like that necessarily. It's not, you don't eat pork because it's unhealthy for you. It's, you don't eat pork because God is holy and you're called to be a holy people. It's not the, the justifications we expect, but is it really so? Are these these purity laws really so foreign? I um, there's a, a a professor at NYU named uh, Jonathan Haidt. Um, he he studies morality um, and like where morality comes from. And he he did this study a while ago where he interviewed people in in our city in Philadelphia. And what he did was he asked he, he just wanted to see if they thought things were wrong. Uh, and what he did was he would craft he crafted stories where nobody was actually harmed in the stories. But he wanted to see if people, if people in our culture would say that it was wrong anyways. So here's an example of one of the stories that he put in front of folks. A family's dog was killed by a car in front of their house. They had heard that the dog meat was delicious, so they cut out the dog's body and cooked it and ate it for dinner. Nobody saw them do this. Is that wrong? People are looking for, you know, is it wrong? I don't know. And people would say things like that were wrong. And he found this, this really interesting thing where, like, he would craft the story in such a way that nobody's harmed. And, like, it was just something that was disgusting, gross. But what was, what was interesting is that people in Philadelphia, what they would do is they would marshal in science and other rationalizations to try and prove that, no, actually, someone is harmed by it, which is why it's wrong. Which is to say, like, there was a purity law, a purity code that we had of it not being okay. And then what would happen is we would bring science and justifications afterwards to justify why that purity code was there. That we'd manufacture harm. Uh, all to say, like, it may be harder to distinguish, and each culture is different, but I think we have purity laws too. So a way to like, think of what some of the purity laws that our culture has, uh, like the, the classic story um, that confronts purity laws in the New Testament is the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus 
Um, tells us, she tells this, this story of there's a man who's lying dead on the side of the road, or looks like he's lying dead. He looks dead, he's unconscious, he's on the side of the road. And a priest and a Levite, two religious leaders, cross to the other side of the road because they don't want to touch the man who's dead. And then the next guy in the story is a Samaritan who helps the man, and Jesus says, be like the Samaritan. The priest and Levite crossing to the other side of the road, they're doing it not just because they're mean, they're doing it because the guy who's laying, looks like he's dead, would be unclean. And they, they're not allowed to touch him. They would be unclean, they would be defiled if they touched him. So, in examining ourselves and our own culture, is who would we cross, who, if we saw someone walking towards us or someone laying on the road, and who would lead us to cross to the other side of the street? May reveals who, what some of our cleanliness laws. When do you wash your hands? Or after touching whom do you wash your hands? What kind of places do you not want your kids to go to because they would get dirty? Or more scandalous is, who would you not want your kids to be around because they would be dirty or corrupted? Note how like language of being, things being dirty or corrupted, like that's purity language. That's dirty, that's unclean. And I think like the, if anything, if like Kiko's done anything for me, it's just brought to the forefront that like, oh yeah, purity and cleanliness, like it is, 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 is a real thing that our culture feels and experiences. Like, I don't know about you, uh, my wife was the one who observed this and I thought it was so insightful. Like for the first time in my life, you are a morally bad person if you get sick. Like you didn't follow the code, you weren't doing things the right way, You're, there's something wrong with you if you got sick. You're unclean. All to say, and, and I'm not necessarily saying like every culture has purity codes in some, some way or another, and there aren't necessarily bad. There are dietary laws. They're in every human culture. Well, I think we're just the first, human, the first culture in human history that's arrogant enough to think that we've outgrown them. <laughs> so what does Jesus have to say? What does this passage have to say um, about the Mosaic law, the Mosaic purity law, about purity, the purity laws of our, our own culture? I'm going to make two points. Uh, the first is that Jesus deepens our understanding of uncleanness. And then I'm going to talk about how Jesus dissolves uncleanness. So, first off, Jesus deepening uncleanness. Jesus explains that the, these laws, this Levitical law, and the law as a whole, that, that these were primarily about the condition of our hearts. That's definitely something that's going on in this long passage. And it's worth saying that like, in doing this, in his deepening, his emphasizing, drawing attention to the condition of the heart and what the law is about, he's not like shrugging off the Mosaic law when he does that. We can't get away with, with saying that. Uh, look at the first passage again, okay? So verses, looking especially at verses 1 through 13. Uh, the, the story is uh, the, again, the way I described uncleanness, if, if I were to... Um, like have a, a bloody knee and sit on my couch where I would later eat and like the, the blood could possibly get onto the couch and that couch would then be unclean. And if I were to, someone else were to sit on that couch, they would need to go and wash themselves. And so you wouldn't want someone to sit on it and then potentially get on, be unclean and then eat or get, their, get food on it and then be eating something that's unclean. So the Pharisees had these, they built up on top of the Levitical law, these instructions for washing one's hands in preparation for eating. How does, Jesus, how does Jesus respond to this? Jesus does not go like, ah, but those are old, old laws. They don't count anymore. What Jesus does is he critiques the scaffolding they've built on top of the Mosaic law. But he does that through actually drawing on the Mosaic law itself, 
which is really interesting. How does he do that? He, he rails on them for being hypocrites, for exalting tradition over the commandments of God. Um, he quotes an, an, old, a, a tes, an Old Testament prophet, so we can't like just throw out the Old Testament. He quotes Isaiah to accuse them. Um, and then he gives it, he's like, you do many hypocritical things like this. Here's something you do. You, the, the commandment of God is that you'll, you, you honor your father and mother. And the, the Pharisees, and this was a practice at Jesus' time, they're, um, if, if folks could get around that requirement to honor their father and mother, which in Jesus' time, they meant like you take care of your parents when they're old. They would get around that through saying like they would take the, some wealth and they'd be like, this is korban, which korban means it's like dedicated to God. I'm going to like give it in the temple. And because I'm giving it to God, you know, like then I don't have to give it to my, my parents. Um, and it was a way that it was like a clever kind of vow that people could take that the Pharisee establishment liked uh, that Jesus is like, no, <laughs> actually through your trickery here, you are, you are undercutting the very law of God and actually honoring your father and mother, taking care of them as they age, like that's a way more serious requirement than you realize. He uses the law to critique them. He deepens the law. He re-emphasizes, there are parts of the law that Jesus really lifts up again and, says, and, and emphasizes how important they are, how serious they are. He uses the authority of the law to show that the Pharisees were using the authority of the law improperly. And in the next passage, Jesus deepens you know, the law, the understanding of uncleanness, um, by explaining that, it, that uncleanness proceeds from the inside of us, not from the outside. So the second part of this passage is verse 14 and following. And this is Jesus' te- teaching, he, him explaining it to, to his disciples. Um, There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. In verse, in verse 20, he explains this in more detail. What comes, out, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. What Jesus is saying, he anchors uncleanness, not through external things that we're putting in, bringing into ourselves, but from the thoughts and actions that proceed from our twisted hearts. And this is actually like a deepening of uncleanness. It actually makes things harder in a way, makes us more culpable. Like you can't, you can't make yourself, uh, you can't keep yourself from being unclean through not eating pork. Actually, the condition of your heart requires more than that. So to flesh this out a bit, I wanna give you two pictures, okay? I want to tell you about two men. Describe two men to you. Man number one. Man number one, this is a man who's at, at the KNA, not, not too far from this church, passed out on the ground by the subway station. He's got needles all laying all around him. Um, this man has burned bridges with all of his family and friends uh, because of his addiction. Every spare cent that he has he uses uh, to go buy poison to pump into his body. You look at him, and he's like, he looks just like a filthy, collapsed rag. That's man number one. Man number two. This man is sitting in his $500,000 home, scrolling through Zillow on his iPad Pro. 
He's sitting on a bar stool next to his new granite countertops. He's sipping a cocktail that he made himself. Uh, he even grew the herbs for the cocktail in his own backyard. He's happily married with two beautiful kids. He spends most of his time working for a promotion that he deserves. He deserves it. And after working, spending some time in some Zillow fantasies, looking at houses he could live in, he opens up his email and he gets back to work. According to what Jesus is saying here about uncleanness, which of these two men is unclean? The answer, of course, is both. They're both unclean. <laughs> All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to his own way. All of us, originally, we are all dead in our trespasses. The law is about death, like the, these purity laws are about separating the people from death. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that each of us, on our own, we're dead. We are unclean. We await cleansing. We are all dependent upon God to come to us and cleanse us. Like, who can look at that list that I just went through and say that it doesn't apply? that nothing in there applies to them, that they're innocent. Who in here has never slandered or envied or deceived? I don't care if you're here today and you're a heroin addict or a Zillow addict, a pathological liar or a polite liar, a prostitute or a porn user. Today you sit unclean before a holy and righteous God. That is our condition. Do you see how that deepens what the law says about cleanliness. Yet Jesus dissolves uncleanness. This is my second point. So why do the purity laws exist in the Old Testament? The best, the best explanation I've found is that the, the Jews were, they were called to be a people of life. Uh, and the laws, what they did is they drew these boundaries of, that distanced people from the forces of death, according to like the biblical worldview. And many of the purity laws had to do with not touching dead things, you know, not eating creatures that crawl in the dust. The dust is like a symbol of death. Uh, not touching corpses, not consuming blood. And these practices that the Jews had, the key, a key factors that distinguished them from their Gentile, the, the, the other nations, their Gentile neighbors. Uh, the Gentiles, on the other hand, were people of death. They were oppressors. They were evil. They were demon worshipers. And the purity laws, there were this great um, God-ordained boundary between the people and the forces of death. And then Jesus comes into the world. God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. Author of life from author of life. And what does Jesus do? He goes over that boundary. Jesus fulfills the purity law Intriguingly, through crossing over them. Jesus upholds the purity laws, but then crosses into death himself. He crosses, he, he, he first off, in his ministry, he goes, comes towards those who are unclean. He heals them, takes away their, he cleanses them, which is foreshadowing how, he's, how death doesn't have dominion over him. And then in his death and his resurrection, he crosses into death, he crosses over that boundary, and comes back on the other side, alive. So now, the people who were outside of these boundaries, the Gentiles, the people of death, the unclean people like you and like me, like, the, like whatever addicts, addicts who are out there, these people of death can find life in him 
their uncleanness can be washed clean, totally clean, in Jesus. Their uncleanness is dissolved. And that's what we see briefly in this story, okay? At the very end when when Jesus heals this woman's daughter. This woman is from Tyre and Sidon, the Syrophoenician woman, which is a region north of Israel, historical enemies of the people of Israel. Again, the way I was just describing the the Gentiles, people people of death, unclean, to be kept out. And note the language. Her daughter is possessed by what? A blank spirit, an unclean spirit. This has to do with cleanness again, purity. She's, she's, She's unclean outside the people of Israel. She's an unworthy beggar at the feet of a holy God. And Jesus cleanses her daughter, washes away, um, frees her daughter from the possession of the demon. In Jesus, we who are unclean are made clean. In our baptism, the entrance into the faith is like the great, the great sign of that, right? That's why it's, it's, it's the washing of water, the sign of us being united with Jesus by faith and made clean. But first, and let's just spend a, I'll just spend a minute here in closing. Uh, Jesus, I can't like, you can't just breeze over this. Jesus calls the woman a dog. I, I don't know if you, you caught that um, in verse 27. She, she begs for her daughter to be healed. And Jesus says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's him saying, like, my ministry is primarily, is first, primarily, for the people of Israel, the children, the children of God, and not for the dogs, not for Gentiles like you who are outside. Let's not skim over that. What do we make of this? And then, also, how does the woman respond? She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And all this talk of, like, uncleanness, there are a lot of you in here, we're really self-critical people, there are a lot of you in here who are like, you're like, I don't need you to tell me that I'm unclean, buddy. <laughs> I already know that. I already feel like I'm useless, like I'm garbage. Um, and now we've got this passage of Jesus calling someone a dog. <laughs> to you I'd say, I can preach... I have preached these sermons. I will preach these sermons again and again. I'll preach to you till I'm blue in the face that Jesus has made you clean, that in him he cre- that you're crowned with glory. You're more than just useful. You're a glorious, precious. You're, you're useful in his sight. That's all true. I've preached it before. I'll preach it again. I think what I would just draw you towards, if that's, if that's your lot, is just the faith of this woman She's so confident in who Jesus is that she even flips the insult around on him into an occasion to praise him. She calls him Lord. She, and she, she continues to beg. She's, it's her acknowledging that he's the author of life and he's the only one who has food. And she presses in in faith and Jesus heals her daughter. Jesus says like these things that are, it's just like, it just seems so contradictory to me. He, listen, this is one thing that Jesus says. Jesus says, his yoke, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. On another page of scripture, Jesus says this. Anyone who wants to follow me must take up his cross daily. So, 
Does following Jesus mean an, an easy, carrying an easy yoke? Or does it mean carrying a humiliating cross? Yes. Uh, yes is the answer to that question. There are times when following Jesus will feel like a joy. And I don't want, yeah, and I don't want you to come, like, you to think that I can, that my sermon can, can snap away the hardships that you face on a day-to-day basis. There are times where it will feel like a joy, but there are also times where following Jesus may feel a bit more like he's pushing you away and calling you a dog. But in both times, let us cling ever tighter to Jesus as he is, that he's the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness, who brings life where there is death, the only, our only hope in life and in death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.